Hello and welcome to the commentary for Lesson 355. This is Isaiah 6. I apologize for not having posted in a long time. I kind of just let myself take the summer without doing this, but you know, I can tell um, day in and day out without being in the scripture. I mean, I kind of did from time to time, but not, not as a habit and not in this study and not doing my recordings all summer, it really had its effect. It's took, it took its toll on the way I felt every day. So I just got to say, um, it is such a relief to get back into it, to get back into the regiment of God's word. And I find it's almost like, um, you know, you get rusty from a skill that you don't practice for a while. Let's say you play the violin or whatever it is that you do, um, and your body is trained like athletes, right? Say they take three months off, you know, to get back in the game, it takes jumping over the hurdle um, of just getting out of practice and it not really coming as naturally. I know when I'm in the word every day, it comes more naturally. It's more fluid. I'm more confident, but I got to tell you, um, I've known I needed to get back to this study and um, because I'm a stubborn woman and I do not give up um, if I have committed to do something, especially for God, um, don't want to let him down. So I really am committed to this and I insist on pushing through that, um, initial barrier and just getting back to the groove. And, um, I know it'll get easier as I go. So, um, today's reading, there was a lot there and really we're unfolding the story of Isaiah, the greatest prophet of all times, arguably. So here it's, you know, easy to get lost in the details and distracted trying to figure out the symbolism of the train of the Lord's robe filling the temple and the seraphim and their wings. I mean, I don't know about you, but I get lost in those details and I want to dig deep and dissect the symbolism of things. But I think bigger picture here, I think we just need to focus on what's the takeaway and the main things that we can learn from Isaiah in this passage, and maybe not try, I mean, like I say all the time, you know, we could take any of these little details that we read about and go down a rabbit hole and probably study that one thing for weeks to months. Um, whole books can be written about one little detail in the Bible. So I try not to get stuck in those, even though it is my nature. Um, but the main things, like I said, to learn from Isaiah here are definitely that, um, number one, he had a vision. And, and this is not just a vision, it's an experience from God. And when that is proof to us, first of all, that God selected him, God chose him, uh, to be his prophet, but it's also telling of his commitment. You know, when someone is so committed that they will defy the odds, they will go against human nature, they will go against um, public opinion, and what motivates them is that they know that they know that they know, and they know because They've had a personal experience from God. Anyone who's had that personal experience from God, it is very hard to shake that foundation from which they stand because they know. They've experienced it. Um, and 
the pundits can try to talk them out of it and try to split hairs with them and try to create doubt. But we always have to come back to that personal experience, that personal relationship with God to reassure us in our commitment. Um, We also know that Isaiah feared God, right? He, it says in verse 5, after he saw the vision of the seraphim, after he heard them say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. It says their voices shook the temple to its foundation and the entire building was filled with smoke. And Isaiah's reaction was of humility. He felt unworthy. The power of the situation rocked him to his core, both physically and emotionally. Yeah, the building shook, but it also shook him up. Um, And he said, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Now, we don't know exactly what he's talking about. If he's thinking, oh, no, I curse sometimes. Um, I joke about my friend Danielle, who I love so much. I bought her a T-shirt that says, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. (laughs) I don't think... I don't know, possibly Isaiah is talking about cussing, but I don't think so. It's something more, but we don't know the details of that, and that's okay. He's concerned about his sin, basically, is what matters here. And he says, I'm a sinful man. The people I live among are sinful man. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. So he is showing fear of God. He is showing humility, and he is showing repentance. And that's what God requires to use man. It's just a renewed heart, a renewed um, conviction, repentance. He had a repentant heart. He confessed his sin to God. He got specific. It was about his his lips, his filthy lips. Um, One thing I, I think is really interesting here, when it talks about the seraphim, how it flew and got a burning coal from the altar with a pair of tongs and touched his lip with it. This is God's way of removing the guilt. It says, see, this this is what the seraphim touched. He touched the lips of Isaiah and this is what he said to him. See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Okay, here's what's interesting. There's no animal sacrifice mentioned, right? And the sin required a specific act of forgiveness. And the sin came from the lips, and so the forgiveness came from the coal touching his lips. So you see that direct correlation. God forgave him, but I just think it's interesting mainly that there were no animal sacrifices mentioned, and this is before Christ. We know that God forgives us our sins. All we have to do is confess them and repent and um, come back to him, and he forgives us. Our guilt is removed. But here, Jesus had not arrived on the scene yet. Um, at this time, in order to get forgiveness, there had to be animal sacrifices. We know that that was, that was the case in the Old Testament. So this is an unusual situation. Um, and it is a vision, but it's basically an event, a personal experience. And that's how God reaches his people. So then the Lord asks him a question. 
And notice God suggests to Isaiah. He doesn't force him, which he could because he's God. Um, He doesn't push him at all. He just says, whom should I send as a messenger to this people, the Israelites? Who will go for us? Now, the fact that the Lord used the word us is very curious, and I could go down that rabbit hole, but I'm not because I think big picture for this lesson. Uh, We're going to stick with um, what we can learn from Isaiah here. So this is what's telling, and I think this is the heart of Isaiah's whole ministry can be summed up in this verse 8. After God asks him, whom should I send as a messenger to this people who will go for us? Here is Isaiah's response. He said, here I am, send me. And he said, God, yes, go and say to this people, listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people, plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts and turn to me for healing. Okay, so God did not push him. God did not force him. All he did is say, say, who would I send? Now, what's amazing here is Isaiah commits himself to that work. He didn't hesitate. He didn't evaluate the costs of that choice. He was experiencing God. He was moved by the power of God. He was humbled. He was repentant. And he said without hesitation, without making a pro and con list, He decided, yes, sign me up, God. He volunteered for that task wholeheartedly. And I think we have to ask ourselves, would we do the same? Everything else in our life, especially knowing that committing to to God's work that he's put before you, everything else in our life could fall away, even our earthly life. And knowing that, would would we be as eager as Isaiah was, to answer that call. I think that's definitely the takeaway. But it goes a little further because it seems like, you know, God explains to him how this is going to work out, and it seems like it's going to be a fool's errand, doesn't it? He says, I want you to go tell these people, but they're not going to hear you. They're not going to see it. They're not going to understand it. But tell them anyways. And so you kind of wonder, what the heck, God? Why? Why put me through all of this and sacrifice so much for something that's not even going to be effective? So I want to read what what my study Bible says about this. God told Isaiah that the people would listen but not learn from his message because their hearts had become hardened beyond repentance. God's patience with their chronic rebellion was finally exhausted. His judgment was to abandon them to their rebellion and hardness of heart. Why did God send Isaiah if he knew the people wouldn't listen? Although the nation itself would not repent and would reap judgment, some individuals would listen. Um, In verse 13, it says, if even a tenth, a remnant, survive. Okay, that's referring to the holy seed so that the faithful would be saved. This is the remnant. Okay, it says, um, God explains that this remnant, the holy seed of faithful followers, and he is merciful 
even when he judges, he can, we can gain encouragement from God's promise to preserve his people. If we are faithful to him, we can be sure of his mercy. And then the study Bible goes on and it talks about when will this happen? Because this is prophecy that he's giving to Isaiah. These are the events that are going to happen. You're going to go spread the word. Nobody's going to listen, but there will be a remnant. And how will this play out? Um, my study Bible says that this would happen when the land was destroyed by invading armies and the people taken into captivity. What I'm referring to is um, when Isaiah says, how long will this go on? And the Lord says, until their towns are empty, their homes, houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland. Until the Lord has sent everyone away and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. Okay. Um, if even a tenth, a remnant survive, it will be invaded again and burned. But as a terebinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. So, um, yeah, that will happen when the land was destroyed by invading armies and the people taken into captivity. The tenth refers to those, either those remaining who remained in the land after the captivity or those who returned from Babylon to rebuild the land. Each group was about a tenth of the total population. So um, I guess scholars are not exactly sure, but it does seem um, that prophecy could have been fulfilled in a couple different ways um, that did hold true, obviously, because God's promises always do. Um, so... I can't say that I understand that fully, but I will say that I love the example of the terebinth or oak tree. We had a house um, at our home. We had a really bad storm one time and a tree that was kind of a kind of a sapling. It was maybe three or four years old. I don't know. Um, but it broke at the base. And luckily, it wasn't tall enough to land at the house. There was maybe like a foot or two clearance between the top of the tree and the house thankfully but the tree nonetheless had to be scrapped and there was like this jagged stump left and my father-in-law told my husband that we should just cut the stump and call it a loss and my husband Ryan decided you know what I'm just gonna see what happens which is kind of how he rolls with things because you know he likes to I'll I won't get into that but uh, he decided to just let it be and see what happens. And so he left that. And you know, even though that entire tree had toppled, because that stump still had life in it, new life sprung forth from that tree. And now if you looked out, I just love this visual metaphor. If you look out at that tree now, it's a beautiful poplar. Um, it's strong. It's tall. It towers over the house, the roof line. And you can, if you know to look, you can see the scar of where it fell. Um, but it's at the base. And my hunch is that just as scars that people have, it's evidence that yes, something happened here, but you only know if you know. And you're looking for it. Otherwise, it looks as beautiful and mighty, even more so than it did before the incident um, of the storm. And 
I suspect that because of the way that it broke and grew back, that it is actually stronger at the base. And so the symbolism there, the metaphor for um, our lives can definitely be taken from that. And so I love that example that, you know, God gives about his people that I'll read it again, but as the terebinth or oak tree leaves a stump when it is cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed. It will be cut down, but there will still be life in it. There will be a remnant, and from that remnant will spring forth God's people in renewed glory. Um, nothing will wipe out. God's power, nothing will wipe out his promises. And so I just love that. Um, but I think I need to close this lesson because I don't want it to get too long. But I think definitely what we would take away most from this lesson is Isaiah's response. Here I am, send me. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway here today. And that is that, you know, if... If asked by God to do such a task um, or any task that he asks us and you know in your heart which ones those are and which ones he has set before you and we know that there are going to be challenges and sacrifices in order to fulfill those tasks that he put before us and do we try to come up with excuses do we try to put him off? Do we put him on the back burner and get and um, do what he asks when we get around to it? Because as I learned this summer, you know, it's really easy to get distracted. And before we know it, months and months go by and then it's harder to get back to it. So I, I challenge you to take seriously any task God has given you. And I'll I hope that, like me, I'm convicted here when Isaiah says, here I am, send me. I want to respond like that to God with whole, with my whole heart, my whole self, and without hesitation. So, that's it for today. I hope you all have a great day. I will talk to you soon. <music>